Psalm 32 for our communion message. I'm only going to be preaching on one little phrase out of one verse, but I do want to read the whole um, psalm to give the context. Psalm 32, hear God's word. A psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Well, the phrase I want to comment on is in verse 7, simply says, you are my hiding place. Now, one of the things that uh, the Lord's Supper symbolizes is the security that we have in Jesus. And in Isaiah 32, verse 2, it calls the man, who would be the coming Messiah, the man, our hiding place. And this calls God, Jehovah God, our hiding place. No conflict between the two because Jesus is Jehovah and he is uh, a man, fully God and fully man. And there are three things that this phrase powerfully points to in the context of the whole psalm. And the first is danger. You need a hiding place because of danger. I think that's a logical implication that you can draw from that. David needed a hiding place from danger. Even though he was a believer, he was justified, he was safe from hell, he still was in danger. And too many backslidden Christians are utterly oblivious to the incredible danger that they face. And they don't just face danger from their own flesh and from the devil who takes advantage of their backsliding and uh, from the world. They face danger from God because God is working everything together for their discipline. He's not going to allow them to be in that. He's going to oppose them. So God really is the primary danger that David was facing in this psalm. Psalm 32 is David's psalm of confession after Nathan the prophet confronted him. And he confronted him over the sin of adultery with Bathsheba and then his murder of Bathsheba's husband, uh, Uriah, in order to cover his sin. And David by this time had strayed so far from God, his hiding place, that uh, he was vulnerable to all kinds of dangers. Satan was having a heyday in his life and there were people who were rising up against him, but his own flesh had brought him to a place where he had such self-deception, he had become utterly blind. You know, he, he pretended like he was a pretty spiritual man. Maybe he thought he was a pretty spiritual man. We don't know for sure. 
But all the while, he was covering the horrendous sin of adultery and lying to cover his adultery and uh, the murder to cover uh, that adultery as well. It was a despicable sin. He had basically lost, completely lost his battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the reason he had lost that battle was because God was against him. God was fighting against him. God was the supreme danger that David was facing at that time. But the second point is that God was David's hiding place. Now, how could God be the hiding place when God's the one who's inflicting all of this pain into David's life? I mean, why would David run to God when God is the chief danger uh, in his backslidden uh, situation? Verse 4 says that God's hand was heavy upon David, so much so that his bones felt weary with groaning all day long. Basically, God was whooping up on him. He was giving him a spanking. He was severely chastening him. And verses 1 through 2 explain the only kind of person who finds God to be a safe one to run to even when he is being afflicted by the Lord. It is a person who is justified and forgiven. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, we have an inspired interpretation of this. The Apostle Paul applies this to justification by faith alone and the imputed righteousness of Christ alone. So we know David was already a saved man. Uh, he was forgiven of all of his sins as far as a judge is concerned, past, present, and future. He was not in danger of hell. Um, he had already run to the Lord as his hiding place uh, uh, long before this time. But here's the point of this psalm. It's not just when we first get saved that we run to God as a hiding place. We must do that at all times. God does not save us so that we can stay comfortable in our sins. Verse 3 says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. He was miserable in his sin. Because God loved him, he wasn't going to allow him to stay comfortable. Uh, anybody who's a genuine believer, God's going to be grieved when he's in rebellion like that, and God is going to begin disciplining him. And as verse 9 words it, God was basically treating him like an ornery, stubborn mule, and he was breaking that mule and getting him into bit and bridle so that he would be doing the master's will, basically. And it wasn't until verse 5, when he finally acknowledged his he and his sin to God and no longer acted as a hypocrite, covering his sin, that he found restored joy. And why it is that we are so long in confessing our sins is a mystery because what we're restored to is joy. But this seems to be the common human condition that we are just slow. We don't want to open up and confess our sins. But once he had done so, even though Satan could accuse him of his sins, it didn't bother him anymore because in verses 1 through 2, he was secure in God's justification. And he found security in God's favor, verses 6 through 7. He found mercy, gladness, and joy in submitting to God and saying, Lord, your will be done in verses 10 through 11. And so, yes, God was a danger, but God was also the hiding place from danger. So avoiding God, ignoring his convictions, is not the safe thing to do. Uh, backsliding from God only makes the danger worse. It is running to the one who spanks us that brings us security.
Okay, it is hugging the one who disciplines us that uh, restores us to the hiding place even when all of the storm is raging round about us. And so the point I think here is that just because we're saved from hell does not mean we're safe from discipline. We should never divide justification from sanctification. In other words, we should never say, hey, since I'm going to hell, it really doesn't matter if I'm, since I'm going to heaven, it doesn't really matter if I uh, live in sin. No, it really does matter. It's an incredible danger. Satan's against you, your flesh, your world. You don't have security from anything as long as your sins are unconfessed. We need Jesus as a hiding place every day. But the last point I want to make is that verse 7 says, you are my hiding place. David doesn't say, you are a hiding place, as if God is one hiding place amongst many. And yet we tend to forget this, and we make substitutes for God being our hiding place. Uh, it is such a temptation to, when we feel convicted over our sins, to lie, to try to cover up. That's a kind of fake hiding place and it doesn't work you know God keeps convicting you convicting you till finally you break he says be sure your sins will find you out but why do we go to a false hiding place that's not a good hiding place it's a lousy hiding place uh, we have a tendency to hide from shame and danger through minimizing our sins but David found it wasn't until he stopped minimizing his sin, he completely, openly confessed his sin and said, yes, Lord, this is blasphemy. This is as heinous as you say it is, that he was restored to joy. Uh, Christians have a tendency to hide from shame and danger by confessing to a psychologist or a clinical third party who promises, you know, uh, total confidentiality, and he just feels, if I can get this off my chest, then I'll feel better. Guarantee you won't. The only thing that's going to give you a hiding place is going to Jesus, confessing completely, and he permanently removes the guilt and the shame. So God's not simply one hiding place among many. He's the only one. Nor is it enough to say that God is the hiding place. There are plenty of people who believe God is the only hiding place, but they still don't hide in him. Okay? They have a good theology, but they have never applied it to themselves personally. Apparently Judas seemed to believe everything that Jesus was saying, but he never personally appropriated Christ as his own hiding place. David was different. Forgiveness was not just a doctrine that he had up in his head. He said, you are my hiding place. He had personally appropriated what God had provided. He moved from a position of straying from the fortress to going back into the fortress. So if an army approaches you, you're in your cottage outside the city walls, and you say, no problems, the, the fortress is a very strong fortress, but you're not inside of it, it doesn't do you a lick of good. You're still gonna get <laughs> robbed by the enemy. It's going into the fortress that makes the difference. So um, same is true of believers. They may believe that abandoning their sin is for the best, they may believe that sin they've got a good theology when we uh, uh, confess our sins Satan cannot touch us and yet somehow they don't do it it's so irrational so the charge of this psalm is be willing to confess your sins and enter into the hiding place 
The Puritans said that too many Christians have a speculative faith rather than an appropriating faith. And what they meant by that is we believe all the right theology, but we've never personally applied it into our lives. So if you've strayed from the Lord, run to him in this sacrament and claim the promises of his protection. Claim his sufficiency to deal with the attacks of the enemy, of Satan and of the world. He's got all the power, all the grace, uh, all the sufficiency to deal with everything that you need. And no matter how great your sin is, and some people feel my sin is so great I just can't possibly confess that. No matter how great your sin is, Christ is a greater hiding place. His hiding place is always near, it's always open, it's instantly available, you can't earn it, it's always free, and it is impregnable to the attacks of Satan. And so, if you're not a genuine believer this morning, for sure don't come to the Lord's table, but run from the wrath of God by running to Jesus and receiving his salvation. If you don't know how, talk to one of the elders and they'll be happy to share with you how you can do that. And if you are a genuine believer, but you have strayed far from his hiding place, let me remind you that straying from the hiding place takes many steps, many downward steps. But returning, praise the Lord, returning only takes one step. It is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It's repentance and faith, just one step. So come. We come to the table not because we are worthy, not a one of us are, we come because of the worthiness of Christ. We come not because we are strong, but we come because we need the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so come. Father God, we thank you for this table and that it is a reminder to us that in ourselves we have no security. And I pray that those who have found themselves caught yet again in sin would not be running to false humanistic hiding places but that they would turn to you. They would confess their sins to those whom they have sinned against. They would confess their sins to you and find a restoration of joy. And we thank you, Father, that your joy is our strength, that you give to us joy inexpressible and full of glory when we are walking in the light. Help us, Father, as your children to walk in the light. And I pray that you would set aside these common elements to a holy use that you'd be glorified as we partake. And Father, each one of us would have a strengthened resolve to cling to Jesus, who alone is our hiding place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.